Chair, staff is ready when you are. Thank you very much, Madam Clerk. Uh, good evening. I want to welcome uh, my colleagues as well as the public to the Wednesday, July 28, 2021, meeting of the Utilities Rate and Advisory Commission, better known as URAC, uh, here in the city of Sacramento. Uh, we are uh, functioning uh, still virtually, unfortunately. Um, however, with that said, uh, we're looking forward to the day that we can all gather once again um, there in the city hall chamber. Um, with that, um, if I could, I'd like to have the roll call, please. Thank you. Commissioner Baring. Commissioner Fidel. Present. Commissioner Gatowski. Commissioner Javist. Commissioner Lee. Present. Commissioner Vanderwerf. Here. And Chair Thomas. Present. All here and accounted for. We have a quorum. Uh, with that, uh, is there a recommendation to approve? Or is there a recommend? Is there an Is there a motion to approve uh, to accept the commission minutes from the June twenty third, twenty twenty one meeting? Uh, I'll move that we accept the minutes from the last meeting. It's been I'll moved. second. It's been moved and second. Uh, Madam Clerk, call the roll, please. Thank you, Commissioner Baring. Commissioner Fidel. Approved. Yes. Commissioner Gutowski. Commissioner Javis. Commissioner Lee. Commissioner Stain. I was not here last week or last time, so. Commissioner Vanderwerf. Aye. Com um, Chair Thomas. Yes. Um, and Commissioner Lee, as an administrative matter, um, this approval of the minutes, um, this will not pass um, without your I vote. Oh, okay. Yes, I approve the minutes then. Thank you. <laughs> Thank I'm you, important. Commissioner Lee. <laughs> Would have been tough not to have the minutes in record. Thank you, Commissioner Lee. The motion. So we passes. can move to. Yes. Can we move to the approval of the minutes for the June twenty third, twenty twenty meeting. Is there a motion to approve uh, draft minutes for the June or twenty three June? Um, I believe that's uh, the only. I believe that's the only item on the consent calendar was approval of the minutes of the June twenty third meeting. Um, and so that motion did pass. Fantastic. Yeah. Our next item is um, our discussion calendar. Or am I, are we at the Department of Utilities Storm Drainage Workshop? Um, so the consent calendar is complete. You had no members of the public signed up to speak. Um, you're on the discussion calendar. Item two, Department of Utilities Storm Drainage Workshop survey results. Uh, Bill, will we please, please proceed? All right. Good evening, commissioners. This is Tony Bertrand, your Department of Utilities Engineering Manager. Um, I'm going to be leading off the presentation tonight um, with some introductory background information related to a proposed drainage rate adjustment that's moving forward. 
after I'm complete, we'll have Jared Boygon with TBWD, one of our consultants, provide you with some detailed information on the rate proposal survey that was recently completed. And uh, to wrap things up, our director, Bill Busaith, will go over next steps. Next slide, please. All right, I believe we've discussed this information in the past, so, so consider this a reminder. I think most of you have seen a lot of this information, but I think it's important to go over again. Um, on May 12, 2020, the city auditor presented the DOU storm drainage fund review um, to city council. This was a comprehensive review of the drainage fund. The key findings from the review were that expenditures will exceed revenue and reserves in fiscal year 2026. Um, if funded at current levels. The storm drainage system is valued roughly at $8.1 billion, and there are insufficient revenues to properly invest in the storm drainage system. And one of the other items was that the uh, audit recommended a best practice program um, with an investment of $34 million annually. Um, and the current CIP backlog of projects is approximately $300 million. Um, these findings weren't surprising to anybody, I think, that's that's works at DOU or has been part of the organization for any length of time. Um, we have not had a drainage rate increase since 1996. That's a, about the time I started at the department 25 years ago. So uh, I have not seen a drainage rate increase in the entire time that I've worked for the department. Next slide, please. Uh, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the details here, but just to give you some background, um, the chart table shows a stream, storm drainage ending fund balance over time with a minimal investment in capital expenses, basically where we are today with, with capital, a capital program. Um, this includes primarily regulatory requirements, just meeting the bare minimum to keep this, the system functional. Um, uh, let's see, and that program ranges, a CIP ranges in four to $9 million annual, annually, um, kind of depending on the priority of the types of projects that need to move forward. Um, based on the current funding level, the storm drainage fund balance falls below the working capital target of $11.7 million in fiscal year 25 and goes into the negative in FY28. So, Again, we're, we're getting very, very close to those numbers now. Um, this isn't shown in the slide, but for context, we believe a critical CIP program, which is really not the best management practice, which was suggested in the audit of $34 million a year, but a basically a critical infrastructure program that just is, is dealing with failed infrastructure, regulatory requirements, and mainly just the things that really need to keep happening to keep the system running. And that would require a funding level of between 15 and $20 million a year. Um, if we funded the CIP at this level without a rate adjustment, the storm drainage fund would fall below the working capital target in FY23 and into the negative in FY24. So I think as you can see, it's a, it's a, this is a critical issue that we need to um, move forward. Next slide, please. Um, so we started looking some time ago at a potential storm drainage funding measure, um, and we've been working on it in the background. So 
I'm looking at, again, a 15 to $20 million annual CIP, and Jared will go into why that number is kind of where we've, where we've fallen. Um, but anyway, um, again, this is a fee that would be paid by industrial, commercial, and residential property owners based on impervious surface. Um, the goals of this are to protect drinking water quality and our water supplies, keeping the rivers clean since that's the water primarily that we use um, for drinking water, along with our well system and our groundwater needing to keep it safe and clean, uh, preventing toxic chemicals and sewage and human waste from impacting rivers, creeks and overflowing into neighborhoods. Um, as much as we try and keep runoff from the city clean, there's definitely um, concern there that we need to continue to improve on. And then um, ultimately replacing aging and deteriorating pumps that prevent flooding. I think, as I mentioned last time, most of the city runoff and drainage rainfall is pumped into the river. So that's a big, a big cost for us and, and what this program would do. And then repairing aging um, water, wastewater pipes, pipelines. Next slide, please. Um, so, so that's again, very briefly, just some background information. You will probably continue to hear that on a regular basis. I think just to, you know, help drive home the, the point of, you know, the challenges that we face if the current, with the current rate that we have. Um, but right now I'd like to uh, introduce Jared Boygan with our consultant team, TBWD, who will present information on the rate proposal and um, recently completed survey of the city residents. So with that, I will pass this on to Jared. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. Uh, commissioners, it's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Thank you for your time and attention. I'm Jared Boygan uh, with TBWB Props and Measures. Um, and um, with me tonight is also Kurt Balow from FM3 Research. Um, and I'm going to just speak for a couple of minutes and a couple of slides to outline some of the rate proposals that we tested uh, in the survey. And then Kurt and his firm, FM3 Research, actually were the technician that conducted the survey. So I'm going to have him walk us through the results. Uh, and then, as Tony mentioned, we'll come back and do sort of uh, conclusions and, and next steps at the end. Uh, next slide, please. So as you all know, the storm drainage fund has not had an increase in revenue since I think 1996. Um, and so we looked at three different possible models uh, for increasing the revenue. Um, one is simply updating the existing 1996 uh, revenue model with uh, a new structure based on impervious, sur impervious surface, as Tony mentioned. Um, that is sort of more commonly done now best practices in, in a way and um, could provide a little bit more revenue, but not significantly more revenue, but it was a seen as a fallback option worth testing. Um, we looked at an increase only um, that would uh, add an incremental new fee um, to the 1996 uh, revenue source, um, again, based on impervious surface. And we also looked at, at something, a third concept that would replace the 1996 revenue stream and include a significant incremental increase in revenue um, to see if you know the fees could be combined into a single uh, into a single fee next slide please so um, the thing to understand about 
this potential impervious surface fee um, is that the um, fees are uh, based primarily on a factor of the amount of runoff that would come off any individual property. That's sort of the main idea behind the law. Uh, and in this survey, which was a hybrid phone email survey that Kurt will describe, we focused on the residential property owners um, who are the easiest ones to reach for a survey of this type. So we used that for this initial survey. Um, and that's 83% of the customer base in question. Um, and for the purposes of the survey and for the purposes of the potential fee, those residential properties are divided into three categories based on size, because that is how uh, the fee would be calculated for impervious surface. Most of the residential properties in your customer base are what we put in category two, which means that they are bigger than a tenth of an acre or at least a tenth of an acre large, but not bigger than a quarter acre. That's 83% of your uh, residential properties fall into that category. 10% uh, of your residential properties within the jurisdiction um, are smaller than a tenth of an acre and 7% are larger than a quarter acre. Uh, and um, as you'll see on the next slide, the fees would vary based on those categories. And that's important just so you understand what we tested in the survey. Um, so uh, again, looking at the three scenarios that I tested, um, the replacement only scenario would result in a $6 monthly fee for the smallest properties, $11.50 for the most of the properties, which is very similar to what people pay currently, which is about $11.39, I think. Um, and the, for the larger properties, it would be larger because again, they generate more runoff. Um, the replace and increase, the third scenario, we looked at uh, you know a little bit and looks like about a third uh, a 33% increase in revenue there roughly um, from those residential properties. So $8 instead of six, 14.50 instead of 11.50 and 26 instead of 22. And in the middle row there, you can see the increase only with the plus signs, which is again, leaving the 1996 revenue that is flat just alone, let it be what it is uh, and explore an increment that would cost most property owners in that center box about $6 a month. Um, that's eight, remember that's 83% of your residential properties. Um, and then a smaller percentage would pay either about 350 a month or about $11 a month. So those are the rate proposals uh, that we tested. Um, and again, that's based on uh, using the impervious surface methodology, which is the commonly used best practice these days for this type of fee in California. Um, and so with that, I'm gonna introduce Kurt Balo from FM3 Research and um, have Kurt uh, jump on here uh, if he's uh, ready and able to start talking about the survey itself and how it was conducted uh, and what uh, the results were. Uh, thank you, Jared. I am both ready and able, hopefully. I'll let everyone here be the judge of that, but uh, good evening. And um, uh, again, Kurt Beale from FM3 Research, we conducted the survey. I'm happy to be here to explain um, some of the sort of high-level results from that, and obviously we will answer any questions uh, that come up afterwards. Uh, a few notes about the methodology. We conducted the survey back in April. Um, we conducted it via telephone and online, roughly roughly a 50-50 mix there, and we did 1,200 interviews. And the reason we had that number is that we broke it into three different 
tranches essentially 400 interviews 400 uh, property owners got either the um, replace only increase only or replace and increase scenarios so for each of those um, scenarios is about a 5% margin of error or around 400 interviews. Uh, we also offered the, the survey in English and Spanish. Um, we got a list of, of the properties uh, and contact information from the, the city utility. Next slide, please. So um, you'll see that, that some of these stuff looks sort of similar to some of the prior slides here. Um, but this is the language that we presented the respondents. Either we read it to them on the phone or they read it themselves online. Um, and the first part, sort of the goals of the measure were, was the same and consistent. And then based upon what scenario we were presenting the response to the survey with, they got those different little paragraphs there explaining what the mechanism would be. So if it was replacement only, we said, you're going to go from A to B. Um, we had that data. Um, if it was increase only, we just said, well, here's what the increase would be, this new fee. Um, and for replace and increase, we're also able to say, this is what you have now, this is what you would have down the road. And we're able to do that specific to each property. So that would mirror what they would actually see on a, on a ballot. Next slide, please. And ta-da, here are the results. Uh, I tend to use for vote questions on, on any type of, of measure is, would you vote yes or no? If they would say yes or no, we push them a little bit. Is that definitely or probably yes to get a feel for the intensity? And then anyone who is initially undecided, we also push them a little bit and ask if they're leaning one way or another. So it gives us a seven point spread here. We've aggregated the total yeses and total noes on the right hand side. And you see those darker blue bars are the uh, definitely yeses and the darker orange bars are definitely noes. And it's lo and behold kind of came out as you might expect. Um, Replace only, which particularly for those in the SFR2 category that Jared mentioned, wouldn't really see much change at all. Um, total yes votes were at 63 to 30%. So about basically a two to one ratio of yes to no's with more intensity on the yes side. Um, the increase only scenario. Um, so they were, only, they were getting a, a number that was smaller than the replace and increase because we weren't mentioning or leaving the existing fee structure uh, in place. That majority indicated they support as well, 54 to 39. Um, the repla replace and increase. So that was frankly the bigger number that somebody would see or hear. Um, that was less than 50%, 48, 44. So pretty similar there in the yes, no vote, but the intensity happened to be more strong on the no side. 32% definitely no versus 25% definitely yes. Next slide. We also asked a follow-up question. So if you indicated you would vote yes, so this is just the people who said they'd vote yes, and we combine all the yes votes for the three different scenarios here, tell us in your own words or type them in yourself, why would you vote yes on this measure? So this is sort of, they're reading this, they're hearing it on the phone, and they said they vote yes, what was sticking out to them as a rationale? And then we do our best to categorize them. This is art and science combined, and some of these categories are not mute, totally mutually exclusive and respondents could give multiple different rationales even though we asked them for, for one. Um, but if you look at here, it's a lot about clean water and rivers. And we talked a little bit about the, the fact that some of the you know, uh, water goes back into the river. Um, and then a few folks said it's sort of generic, it's important. And then also a little bit in that 16% category of, yeah, it's not that much money. Um, in terms of looking through here about specifically flooding or infrastructure needs that wasn't necessarily as much of a top of mind rationale 
um, initially here. It was a lot about me to do it. It's not going to cost a lot, and we want to keep the water clean in our uh, rivers. So let me go to the next slide. And we did the same exercise for those who indicated they would vote yes. Sorry, vote no. Um, and here it's even more pronounced sort of tiering here, which is, I think you already have the money. I don't trust the government to spend the money. And some version of taxes are too high. So those tend to be the three biggest rationales. Um, there wasn't really anything else that sort of rose to the top of the list. All right, uh, the, I think this is the final section here is, go to the next slide, please. We went through, well, there's a bunch of, if this measure were to pass an additional, you know, funds for this rate increase were to be made available, you have different options for how you could spend it. And so we went through a long list and we presented them in random order and a variety of things. Um, here's how the money could be spent or invested. And in some cases there were very specific items like fixing pipes, in other cases there were more pardon the pun here, but downstream, sort of the benefits. Um, and we'll go through and you'll see there's some distinctions here with that. So the scale we used was importance. How could this money be spent? How important is it to you? Darker blue bars, extremely important, and then also very somewhat and not too important. We're a little more dismissive of those items where you had the, the somewhat important. It's pretty easy to say, yeah, it's somewhat important. So we tend to focus on the more intense reactions that's why we summarized those uh, extremely and very important on the right-hand side. Uh, and you'll see the two items here, I got more than half said they were extremely important. And it was, you know, human waste and, and keeping rivers and keeping it out of rivers and creeks and then generically protecting drinking water quality. So a lot of the emphasis here, and we saw that in the open-ended question rationales as well is clean water. Um, going further a little bit down this list, you see some specific references to let's keep, keep our rivers and delta clean um, and other different variations of let's keep sewage off the streets and, and, and other sort of pollutants out of our uh, local waterways. Next slide. Oh, I forgot about that really snazzy uh, um, um, animation we put in here. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so on this slide, you'll see these are, again, items that are seen between 70 and 80% of respondents said they're at least very important. So again, these are, are pretty high priorities. There's a little less intensity. You see those extremely important numbers dipping into the 30s. Um, but again, you'll notice that a lot of these things with maybe one or two exceptions are still down uh, benefits, right? Um, dealing with future droughts. Um, keeping uh, uh, you know, levees maintained, public health benefits, reducing pollution. You do see repairing aging water pipeline and infrastructure here, which is one of the first kind of more concrete um, spending areas. But a lot of these items are related to, to flooding and things, but a lot of them are also the benefits as opposed to the actual brick and mortar type of investments. Next slide, please. Now we're getting down still still majorities who think these are extremely very important here. Um, we see protecting wildlife habitats here. And here's where you start seeing upgrading, maintaining storm drains. Um, and some things that are just a little, little less uh, end of uh, the pipeline sort of benefits here. Uh, and a few of these recreational items here at the very bottom here, which is protecting local recreation areas, lower priorities. Nothing here is being dismissed. Those orange bars are not getting big. These property owners think everything's at least somewhat important, but there was a clear uh, separation there in terms of 
um, which ones they felt most intensely about. And I think that gets us to just a, a couple conclusions here before I, I, I turn it back to, to Jared and others. So looking through this, uh, the results at the high level here, um, we're looking at, you know, where's that 50% threshold and which of these options meets that? And there's many other variables that have to be considered, uh, in, including, you know, the, the commercial property owners. Um, but the replacement and the increase only look like they have it uh, may be viable. They're, they got to above 50% amongst your, your single family um, homeowners here. Um, that replace and increase scenario didn't really seem viable, didn't get to the 50% threshold, and there was more intensity on the no side. So it suggests that there is, um, you know, we can probably put that one aside. Um, support was much stronger amongst the property owners with smaller properties, not surprisingly. So that suggests there is some, some cost sensitivity here because those are the largest properties, those were larger than a quarter of an acre, those SFR3 would see the highest rates and support levels were, were a little bit lower amongst them. Um, so I think some of the other big takeaways is keeping pollution off of the rivers, protecting water quality, things like that keeping the, the Delta and the Sacramento River clean, those really resonate strongly with these property owners here. Um, so I think that probably the big picture takeaway is, is that in terms of the next steps, focusing on the replacement only scenario or the increase only scenario are, are where we're recommending that the, the city put its focus um, going forward in the future. That kind of wraps up my, uh, my, my summary of the uh, survey results. Thanks, uh, Curtis. Um, can everybody hear me okay? I'll take that as a yes. Um, this is Bill Busaith. Uh, I'm the, the uh, as you know, I'm the director of the Department of Utilities. Appreciate everybody's time today. Um, we have received what I'll call a preliminary approval to move forward with uh, uh, with a, a, a rate adjustment. We have not decided on a schedule, um, but the next steps are clear to us. And we hope that when we come before this body in August, that we will have some more clear uh, a, a better, more clear understanding and be able to present to this group a little bit more definite information about what we're proposing. Um, but basically in general, the next steps are that we, we are and will be giving briefings to the city manager's office and to council members. We're gonna be reaching out to key stakeholders uh, and customers to explain to them uh, why this is necessary and what it means and what it will mean to them. Uh, we will be having several rate workshops. I think we have three scheduled uh, with the URAC uh, starting with our next, uh, with our next meeting. Um, we will at some point in the fall be going out for another survey that will be a little bit more specific uh, and will gauge support from the public for a, a couple of different rate scenarios. Um, that will be a very important survey 
uh, you know, when, when we do it, because it will give us an idea of uh, when and how to move forward with the actual ballot initiative. Um, we will be issuing, if, if the decision to move forward, uh, we'll be entering into a Prop 218 protest mailer. I think we've explained to this body uh, in the last um, meeting uh, that in addition to a protest mailer, which is the usual uh, uh, method that's required by Prop 218 uh, to get uh, a rate approved, uh, in addition to, so we will be doing the 218 protest mailer. We'll be mailing that out to all, uh, you know, 140,000 of our customers. Um, after that process is done, we will also in, uh, uh, be going to council to seek approval for, you know, to mail ballots uh, to our customers. That process, that ballot mailing process will take about um, six to seven weeks for the mailing and the voting time. Uh, and then uh, we will be several weeks in the uh, tabulation of the, of the ballots to see if we were successful. So that's what the next steps move um, moving forward look like. Again, we, don't, we haven't settled in on the exact schedule of these, but hope to be able to present uh, clearer information to this body about the schedule when we come back in late August. So that's our presentation for today. Uh, we're open uh, to questions. Commissioners, are there any questions for any of our presenters this evening? Commissioner Lee? You're on mute, Commissioner Lee. Hi, sorry about that. Hey, um, I had a question about this um, impervious calculation. Are you just assuming a certain impervious area based on the size of the property? <laughs> um, yeah, the state has, and we, and I should say that we have a technical expert working on that who, you know, if you, some of your questions are too technical for me, um, we'll get <laughs> answers, you know, back to you. Uh, but yes, basically that's right. The state has established a standard of best practices for impervious surface calculation that basically estimates, um, you know, the the amount of runoff that each kind of property should be responsible for based on sort of the generally speaking size of the property and the, the likelihood that of a certain percentage of it being hardscape. And so different property types have, you know, different uh, impervious surface coefficient factors that the state has established as kind of best practices for calculations. Okay, thank you. Um, I had a second question, which was, um, do you think it would be compelling for people to tell them that there hasn't been a rate increase since 1996? Do you think that would move some people more toward the yes category? Just wondering, I'm not the expert here. Yeah, we didn't test that specifically in the survey, but anecdotally, I agree with you. I think that has been important to people as we've started talking about it, that um, that's a long time. And, you know, uh, infrastructure ages and, and people do seem to understand that. 
Yeah, well, I think what, what happens is uh, rates are raised, and I'm not sure that people distinguish that, oh, hey, this is for the water line versus this is for stormwater, you know? That's just uh, my thoughts. Okay, thank that, you. I appreciate uh, if I may say, that I think is the most important single idea here, what you've just said, which is that we really don't want people to confuse this conversation with other conversations, including, frankly, the 1996 revenue source. I think what we really need them to focus on is there hasn't been new revenue for this for these purposes. You'll remember at the beginning of Tony's part of the presentation, he put a few bullet points out there about how important this system is, mm -hmm. right? People, lay people, the word stormwater is not meaningful to them. Right. So we have to, in a, in, you know, very simply kind of explain to them things about its impact on clean water, its impact on public health, its impact on cleaning up toxins and pollutants and that kind of thing, what the system does. We can talk about aging infrastructure, and then we do need to keep the focus just on, look, we this bit of money would do these specific things for those specific purposes. And to your point, Commissioner, the more confused people get with other rates and other kinds of rates and what am I already paying and what am I already isn't, that will not be constructive for this conversation because we're okay. going to put a choice in front of them that doesn't impact any of those other things. They can't right. those things. This choice is only be. about this incremental money. Right. And saying it hasn't been raised in 25 years might be a compelling reason to vote for it. I, I don't know, but okay. Thank you very much. Commissioner Fidel. Hi. Yeah, I have a couple questions. Um, I guess the first is that if, if this rate is based on a presumptive amount based on a state categorization of property type, um, will people have an option for an audit? Like, hey, come out and see. Like, I actually don't have any runoff. I put in bioswales. I um, have <sighs> drainage or not drainage in my own backyard. Like, I, I've done all these things. Um, I would like to opt out because I, in fact, don't have any runoff. Um, is there an so oh, is there oh. an an uh, an option for that? And if there isn't, it might be worth developing one. The purpose of a rate structure is to send people signals and get them to modify behavior. And um, one of the things we might like them to do is hold water on their property. Um, so so uh, factoring that in would be great. I'm sorry, you're going. No, that's okay. I'll field that. I think I, I, um, so yes, we have discussed that, uh, that there could be a, a I'm not sure what we'd call it—a waiver uh, or a, you know, an audit possibility where they could demonstrate that even though I have a very big, you know, or, or maybe a very that their percentage is different from what we are, you know, assuming, and that yes, they have a driveway that's uh, you know impervious or or whatever. Um, I I don't think we flushed that out fully. But it certainly has been a, a discussion and is something that we would intend to that we intend to do. Super. I have another question, which is when you um, you had 400 people per category, um, a type of rate increase. I'm wondering, do you have any notion how approval varies by? neighborhoods or how well you sampled different neighborhoods. It's easy, for example, for rich people in Midtown who have small lots to say, sure, why not? Um, and it might instead be a much greater burden on um, 
South Sacramento where they have larger lots and also less ability to pay. Um, so I'm wondering if you have a sense of how people react to these proposals by neighborhood or zip code. Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, we have not gone into a neighborhood level analysis at this point, although we certainly have addresses so we could do that. We did, uh, I just was quickly looking through some stuff. We did ask uh, household income questions as well. And um, the distinctions there weren't as pronounced as we may have anticipated. Um, in fact, they were kind of consistent across different household income levels. Um, now, that may be that those levels might also correlate with the category of house they're into. So you may be in an SFR3 category, which means you pay a little bit more, um, potentially more likely to have a higher level of income or something along those lines. So there may be some conflating pressures there. But by household income level, there wasn't really a big difference in levels of support. Um, we have not looked at neighborhood level, but we can certainly do that if provided with certain types of zip codes to, to group and aggregate them. Is 400 people enough to disaggregate by neighborhood? Yeah, it certainly is by, well, depends on how small a neighborhood. So, okay. <laughs> so if, you, if, you, if you gave us 20 neighborhoods, I'd say it's probably too many, but we could certainly break it into different types of categories. And for these purposes, we could also lump up the full 1200 interviews together too. Strikes me that um, district or council people might be curious about their own districts. Yep. So that's nine, eight. Yeah, those are definitely things that we could uh, we could look into. Uh, just if the staff gives us a little guidance, we'll definitely take some time to look into that. Thank you. Are there any other questions? Any other comments from our presenters? All right. Well, I want to thank um, thank all our presenters for an outstanding job that was done today. Um, our next item on our agenda, I am not lost, as I am, as I am known to be at times. Um, our commissioner comments, ideas, and or questions. And chair, for the record, I don't have any hands raised to speak on the last item. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, colleagues, if there are no questions, I understand that there is an introduction um, that needs to be made and should be made in regards to our interim general manager. There he is. <laughs> our, we have a new interim general manager, as you well know. Uh, Jerome Council is on to uh, a bit of a, what he calls a greener pastures, I would tend to argue about if Texas is greener pastures than the great state of California, but um, um, John Jerome um, certainly served our city well. Um, he served it for, um, for many, many years, and now we have um, his interim replacement, uh, and he's been asked to step into some uh, pretty deep waters. Uh, John Fibo, I would ask you to introduce yourself and say a couple of words, if you would, please. Sure. Thank you all. Um, you might recall I was in front of uh, whatever commissioners were on in 19, uh, doing a little presentation about Sutter's Landing. 
and zero waste was also a topic, I believe, back then. Um, Jerome, as uh, was mentioned, has gone on to, uh, yeah, the city of Dallas, Texas, a really uh, huge opportunity. So uh, the recruitment is underway for replacement. In the uh, interim, I've been asked to step in. And uh, as you mentioned, it, uh, there's a lot going on. So uh, we will be uh, hope to be back in front of your commission in August. We sent a few emails out in the last week to the commissioners. One was just resources for Senate Bill 1383, which I know is an item of interest. It's all the organics research. It was actually uh, SB 1383 for elected official was uh, kind of the title. So it was something that I thought uh, uh, you all might like to uh, review. And um, as well, we sent the URAC binder out. So we're hoping uh, we're in the same situation uh, as uh, Mr. Busey noted. We've got tentative, um, or I, was, uh, I, I think what he, what he said was, uh, your tentative approval or something to, uh, to move forward, and uh, but we're waiting to get a final schedule and then put together a rate model based on that and hopefully be back in front of you uh, in August. So that's about it. I uh, don't have much else to say, but I'm happy to answer any questions if anyone has any. Any, any questions? I think, was, I think it was preliminary approval, actually, is what he said. <laughs> Temporary tentative approval. All right, any, any questions for our interim general manager? John, welcome. Uh, know you will do an outstanding job and uh, definitely know that you're more than qualified to step in and, and handle it either um, until or unless, something along those lines. Um, Madam Clerk, we are at the uh, public comment section. Uh, would you like to go over the platform if necessary? Absolutely. So members of the public, if you wish to speak for matters, public comments, matters not on the agenda, please raise your hand. If you're online, you click the raise hand button at the bottom of the screen. If you're on a mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. And then if you're on a telephone, you dial um, star six um, and to raise your hand is star nine. Star six is to toggle your mute on and off. So, Chair, I'm not seeing any hands raised for public comment matters not on the agenda. Okay. With that, um, I first want to thank um, our city staff. Um, always doing an outstanding job hanging in there during this tough time insofar as COVID is concerned. Uh, I also want to thank the uh, FM3 crew uh, for their presentation. Um, and, of course, uh, Bill, an outstanding job as always. And of course, I want to thank my colleagues, uh, the best of the best. Um, they show up all the time. They're here. They volunteer their time. And uh, they certainly make this job much, much, much easier. So uh, Commissioner Fidel, Lee, and of course, my vice chair, I want to thank you guys as always. Um, if there's nothing else, um, I think um, we're probably pretty much at a time of adjournment.